Good morning. Good to see you. Turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you will. Head to the middle of your Bible and turn left. Sam, thank you for working on that. I can hear the ring. It's my electric personality. It does that to uh, sound devices, so you'll just have to put up with it. Nehemiah chapter 6. I've been uh, preaching through the book of Nehemiah. We haven't been in it for a few weeks here. We're now back in Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 10 through 19. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Let's pray. The Lord, we have set our hope on a crucified man. <laughs> it is foolishness in the minds of this world to set your eternal hope on a crucified man. But Father, your word says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the foolishness of God is wiser than man. You have ordained, Lord God, in your wisdom that man through wisdom would not know you. But we would know you through the foolishness of a Christ crucified for sinners. So Father, we just look to Jesus, trusting that He was not just the crucified man, but also the risen man, dead and risen again for sinners like us. We trust that in Christ alone, on Christ, we have a solid foundation, a solid rock, We trust, Father, that in Christ Jesus we are your children. You love us dearly. You care for us. You watch over us. We trust that in Christ, Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd. We are simple sheep. We're not smart sheep, but you are more than able to watch over us and lead us and guide us. We believe, Father, that it is through your word that you protect us, you lead us, you guide us, you instruct us, you sanctify us, you point our eyes to Christ So, Father, we just ask as we open your word this morning that you would do an amazing thing through your word. We ask that you would open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears so that we might see Jesus and hear Jesus in your word. And, uh, Father, we just trust that as we see and hear Jesus in your word, our lives will be changed. So we offer this to you now, Father, this uh, chunk of the book of Nehemiah, and ask you to bless it now for your glory and our good, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Nehemiah 6.10, Nehemiah says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. 
And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son. Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Amen. One of the more, one of the more painful things in life is probably an act of treachery, betrayal. Someone you trust, or someone you may even love, a a friend, a a confidant, someone on your side, you you lean on them, you count on them, you depend on them, and they somehow violate or break your your trust, turn on you, double-cross you, stab you in the back. Psychologist John Amadeo, he says this, if you throw that on the screen, He says, betrayal is one of the most painful human experiences. Discovering that someone we trusted has deeply hurt us pulls the reality rug from under us. What felt like solid trust suddenly crumbles. Our innocence is shattered. We're left wondering, what happened? How could this happen? Who is this person? And in these verses here, Nehemiah experiences an act of treachery. It's just the latest difficulty for Nehemiah in this book. Just to kind of remind you where we are here in this book, 150 years before Nehemiah was born, the Jewish people were taken into exile. And at the start of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and many other Jews were still living in exile in Persia, but God had opened the door for them to return to Jerusalem. And God sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which the Babylonians had destroyed 150 years earlier. Nehemiah and the Jews, they began to rebuild those walls in Jerusalem back in chapter 2 of this book. And from chapter 2 until now, Nehemiah in this building project of his has faced a ton of opposition. Local enemies near Jerusalem who did not want these walls to be rebuilt. These enemies have tried just about everything to keep him from building. They've ridiculed him. They've threatened him. They've tried to intimidate him. 
Nehemiah up to this point, uh, sustained by God, he has withstood all of this opposition. But now, just before the walls are finished, he faces his biggest and probably one of his most painful challenges, a very subtle act of treachery. We see two main things in this passage I'll give you two T words. We see treachery and termination. And the first thing here is this treachery. Verse 10 says that Nehemiah now went into the house of this man named Shemaiah. He was seemingly a prophet there in Israel. Nehemiah doesn't call Shemaiah a prophet, but Shemaiah acts like a prophet. Nehemiah says that Shemaiah gave him a prophecy. So Shemaiah was a a prophet in Israel. Uh, He was maybe also a priest because he tells Nehemiah at one point that Nehemiah needs to hide in the temple, which is where the priests worked. So Shemaiah was a prophet, um, may also have been a priest. He was a religious leader in Jerusalem at this time. And Nehemiah now goes into Shemaiah's home here because Nehemiah says that Shemaiah was confined to his home. He was, he was possibly ritually unclean according to Old Testament law and he needed to stay away from people. Uh, he may have been sick and, and had to stay in his home. Or uh, Shemaiah may have just made up this confinement to get Nehemiah off of the wall. He may have told Nehemiah that he had this prophecy for him. And Nehemiah apparently trusted Shemaiah because Nehemiah goes off of the wall and into Shemaiah's home. And if you know anything about Nehemiah, almost nothing can get him off of this wall. These enemies of his that have resisted his efforts, they've tried for, for days now to get Nehemiah to stop building. And almost nothing will get Nehemiah off of this wall until now with this man, Shemaiah. When Nehemiah arrives at his house, Shemaiah says in verse 10, let's meet together in the house of God, Nehemiah. Within the temple, let's close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. And you can't see it there in your English translations, but the Hebrew there is structured like a, like a prophecy. There's a little poetic couplet right there. They're coming to kill you, coming to kill you tonight. Uh, the, the type of structure you find in a lot of biblical prophecies. Shemaiah was supposedly giving Nehemiah a prophecy here, a word from God. Thus saith, saith the Lord, Nehemiah, your enemies are coming tonight. You must hide in the temple. And, and it would have been a great place for Nehemiah to hide. That is probably one of the last places uh, these enemies would have looked for Nehemiah was there hidden in the temple. When I was young, I used to play hide and seek with my friends in my house. <laughs> but I knew something that my friends did not know. Uh, my, my father, when he had our house built, He had a bookshelf built into one of the walls in my room. 
a bookshelf that actually opened like a door and it revealed a secret room behind the door. Amazing hiding place. Uh, I was undefeated in my hide-and-seek career in my home. And uh, man, this temple probably would have been a great place for Nehemiah to hide from his enemies. And listen, uh, you, you, I don't think, you don't catch it in, in, in the passage here, but, uh, but I think Nehemiah was maybe tempted at this point to do just that. To hide from his enemies. Just think of what's going on here. Shemaiah is a respected prophet in Israel. He has just presented to Nehemiah what he suggests is a prophecy from the Lord. Nehemiah, the Lord says, your enemies are coming tonight. You need to hide. You need to hide in the temple right now. And man, Nehemiah was probably tempted to do it. But he doesn't. You look at verse 11 again. But I said... Should a man such a, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And you know, just in that little statement right there, Nehemiah indicates here that for him to go into the temple now and hide, it would have been wrong for two reasons. Number one, it would have been cowardly to hide in the temple. Should a man such as I run away, to, to save my life, leader of God's people, governor over Jerusalem, the, the, the chief contractor over this building project right here. I'm going to put my safety over the safety of my people. I'm going to put my safety over God's work here on these walls. Would have been cowardly for him to hide in the temple. But number two, it, it could also have been deadly. For Nehemiah. What man such as I, he says, could go into the temple and live? If I go into that temple there, I won't live. I will most likely die. And it won't be my enemies who will kill me, but God himself. And why? Nehemiah wasn't a priest. And God said in his word that only priests could go into the inner part of the temple, into the areas where they would close the doors. Number eight, numbers 18.7, any outsider, any non-priest who entered would be put to death God would either kill that person directly for coming into his presence in an unwarranted manner or the temple priests would have had the man executed. Hiding in the temple for a non-priest like Nehemiah, it was contrary to God's law. And Nehemiah won't do it. If there's one thing that we know about Nehemiah, he will cling to God's word. Michael J. Fox was in a movie years ago, The Secret of My Success. And one of the secrets of Nehemiah's success was clinging to the word of God. If God said it, then God meant it. And he would not 
disobey it. And Nehemiah now here, as he's listened now to this so-called prophecy from Shemaiah, Nehemiah now knows that this prophecy here is a false prophecy. Because God never instructs his people to do something contrary to his written word. God will never give a prophecy that is contrary to his written word, ever. Jim Boyce says this, the God who forbids us from doing one thing in one place, he does not contradict himself by telling us to do it in another. He is at all times consistent. Nehemiah now knows that this this call to hide here, it's not a prophecy from God because it is contrary to the word of God. You, You can look now at verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent Shemaiah. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Nehemiah knows. He knows now in Shemaiah's home, he knows this is an act of treachery. It's a betrayal from Shemaiah. Sanballat and Tobiah, they are the primary enemies here in this book. We've talked about them a lot. Dr. Evil and Mini-Me. And here they show up again. They've tried since chapter 2 to get Nehemiah to stop building. Their efforts till now have primarily been from the outside. An external opposition through threats and intimidation. But now they've hired an insider. A traitor, a a turncoat, a Jewish religious leader. Nehemiah probably trusted this man. Enough to leave the wall to go into his house. But Shemaiah has been bought out for a pocket of cash. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion the witch in the wardrobe, Edmund was bought out by the white witch. And he betrayed Mr. Tumnus and his own brother and sisters for a few bites of candy. Turkish delight. (laughs) And if you know anything about Turkish delight, that means that Edmund was not just a traitor, but a a traitor with terrible taste. Uh, if you've ever tried that stuff, I would betray not even my worst enemy for a bite of Turkish delight. Uh, now, red velvet cake. <laughs> now, you put red velvet cake, I would betray all of you for, for a bite of that. Edmund, uh, an act of treachery, bought out for a couple bites of candy. Shemaiah bought out for a pocket of cash, this act of treachery. You stop and think about this here for a second. What, what, what were Sanballat and Tobiah trying to accomplish here by hiring Shemaiah to give this false prophecy to Nehemiah? What, what were Sanballat and Tobiah trying, trying to accomplish here by getting Shemaiah to tell Nehemiah to hide in, in the temple because his enemies were coming? What were they trying to produce in Nehemiah? One word, fear. 
They were trying to make him afraid. Verse 13, for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way, run into the temple and sin so they could give me a bad name and taunt me. The ultimate goal here was fear. Spark terror in Nehemiah's heart. Your enemies, Nehemiah, are coming to kill you tonight. So he would then run into the temple, sin against God, and be discredited in the eyes of his people as a self-serving coward. Fear was the ultimate goal. Fear is a huge part of this entire book. These enemies, they try persistently in this book to spark fear in Nehemiah's heart. Just look at some of these verses. Here's Nehemiah 4.14. The enemies threatened, and Nehemiah said to the Jewish people, Do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah 6.8, Nehemiah says, For they all wanted to frighten us. Nehemiah 6.19, oh sorry, 6.14. That was 6.8, here's 6.14. Nehemiah prays about the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And 6.19, he says, Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. It's all through this book. These enemies try persistently to spark fear in Nehemiah's heart. And do you know why? Because fear is one of Satan's primary weapons. We've talked all through this book that the ultimate enemy here in this book the ultimate enemy is not these flesh and blood men, Sanballat and Tobiah. The ultimate enemy is Satan. Satan hates every genuine work of God. Satan does not want those walls built. And Satan is stirring up flesh and blood enemies to oppose this genuine work of God. And what was Satan's primary strategy against Nehemiah? Fear. do anything and everything he could to make Nehemiah afraid. Why? Because fear in Nehemiah's heart, it could cause Nehemiah to do all kinds of crazy and sinful things. Fear in Nehemiah's heart could cause him to hide in the temple contrary to God's law. Fear in Nehemiah's heart could cause him to fail to protect God's people. Only look out for himself. Fear could cause Nehemiah ultimately to drop his tools and quit on this work of God. Fear was Satan's primary strategy here against Nehemiah. And I want to just pause here, right here. And I want to just think about fear for a few minutes. Just, just, just fear in general. You think about fear. Fear is a very real human emotion. We all experience 
fear at times. <laughs> Some people wear t-shirts that say no fear. <laughs> and even they experience fear. In all kinds of different forms, do you know that your anxiousness is often rooted in fear? You stay away up at, at night anxious over your children because you are afraid of what will happen to them. Anxious over your job because you are afraid you'll lose your job. Do you know that control in your life is oftentimes rooted in fear? You're afraid when things are out of control in your life, so you seek to control all the people and situations in your life. Do you know that anger is often rooted in fear? Sometimes you lash out at your kids in anger because you're afraid of what's going to happen at work with your job. We all experience fear. Every last one of us, a thunderclap at night triggers in you this natural God-given fright or flight response and you jump. You're in a dark cellar at night or you're in, you're, you're in a dark alley at night and you feel it. The hair on the back of your neck rises a little bit. You're afraid, afraid maybe you might lose your job, afraid maybe you might lose your marriage, afraid you'll lose a loved one, afraid for your kids, afraid to hear the results of a medical test, or afraid of dying. Fear, it is just a very real, it is a very, very common human emotion. We all fear at times, but here's one of the major problems with fear. We have been taught to stuff our fears and act like we are never afraid. When was the last time someone other than a child walked up to you and said, I'm afraid? I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of losing my marriage. I'm, I'm afraid of medical results. You know, children express their fears very naturally. Mommy, I'm scared of the storm. Can I sleep with you? We have one child who's now sleeping with us almost every night. Uh, thankfully on Molly's side of the bed. Because you know how children sleep. And they're everywhere. And uh, that's uh, not good for me. I can't go back to sleep. Children do it. Most adults do not express their fears very well. Especially men. Men, we have been taught from birth that big boys are not afraid. So we strap on our no fear t-shirts, stuff it, and act like we're not afraid. And you know what? It is very common for Christians to stuff their fear. People who trust in Christ People who are following Christ, so common for believers to act like they're never afraid. We, we know from the Bible that fear is often a, a sin. It's a, it's a lack of trust in, in God. We, we know that Jesus in the Bible, well, he frequently rebuked his disciples for their fear. So whenever we feel afraid in any way as believers, we stuff it. We act like it's not there. 
That's not the way to handle your fear as a believer. God doesn't want you to stuff it. He doesn't want you to deny it. Listen, when, when, when your heart is fearful for some reason, and you act like your heart is not fearful, guess what that's called? Hypocrisy. You're wearing a mask. You're not being truthful about what's really in your heart. God wants you to be honest in your life. He wants you to be an authentic person. Honest about fear when you're feeling about it. Honest with Him. Honest with other people. Whatever, whatever's true is true. Whatever's true is true. You can deny it. You can stuff it. You can fake it and act like it's not there. But whatever's true is true. Just be honest about your fear. Be honest about it with God. I'm fearful right now for my kids. I'm fearful for my job. I'm fearful right now, Lord. I know it's probably rooted in sin. I can't help it. Lord Jesus, will you please help me with my fear? And not just with God, but be honest about it with other people. I'm afraid right now. Husbands, you need to look at your wives on occasion and you need to say that. I'm afraid right now. Wives, you need to say it to your husbands. I'm afraid. Will you pray for me? Will you help me with my fear? Honest about it. There's authenticity in that. There's honesty. There's humility in that. And God gives grace to the, to the humble. When you're honest about your fears, God will begin to help you with your fears. Nehemiah was honest about his fears. You probably don't remember this, but way back in chapter 2, when he was in front of King Artaxerxes and the king confronted him, he says this in chapter 2, he says, Then I was very much afraid. He just lays it out, openly confessing it for everyone who would read it. I was very afraid. The psalmists in the Bible, they're confessing their fear to God, telling Him at times that they're afraid. Be honest about your fear. That is a fantastic question for our DNA groups. If you're in a DNA group right now, I'd just encourage you this week to go around the group and everybody answer, what are you afraid of in your life right now? And learn to be humble. Learn to be honest about your fears. I encourage you to do that this week in your groups. And man, if you're honest and humble about it, God will help you with your fears. And listen, if you won't open up about your fears with, with God and with other people, you're probably going to struggle. And here's one reason, because Satan loves to spark fear in God's people. He just loves to do it. Over some sort of medical diagnosis or over your children or over your church or over your marriage. It doesn't matter. He loves to try to spark fear in your heart. And when Satan does spark fear in your heart, if you just stuff your fear in pride and won't share it, your fear will probably get worse. 
And that fear then can cause you to do some crazy sinful things. You lay awake all night in anxiousness over your children. You lash out in anger at your kids because of your fear on the job. Or you run into the temple to save yourself sinning against God. Fear. 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 If saying can spark fear, if we stuff that fear and that fear grows, it will lead to other sins. We must learn to humble ourselves and share it with God and with other people. I'm afraid, brother, will you please pray for me? Yes, I know it's sin. Don't beat me up for that. I'm coming to you. I know that. Just pray for me. Help me. Satan here with Nehemiah tries through this false prophecy to spark fear in his heart. What does Nehemiah then do? Man, the same thing Nehemiah does a million other times in this book. He prays. He lifts his fears up to God. He lifts his heart up to God in prayer. If you look at verse 14, here he goes right into prayer. Remember Tobiah and Samballot, oh my God, according to these things that they just did. And also, Lord, remember the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Just lifting it up. There was apparently a bunch of prophets in Jerusalem at this time. Not just Shemaiah, but Noadiah, these other prophets who were all in league with Sanballat and Tobiah. All of them trying to make Nehemiah afraid. And he turns to God in prayer, offers it up, Lord God, help me. Remember how they've tried to make me afraid. Help me now, Lord God, to move forward in faith. So that's the first thing in this passage, this treachery and Nehemiah's response there to this treachery. And the second thing here, termination. Nehemiah, in the face of this treachery here, what does he do? He prays and then he just finishes the wall. (laughs) You look at verse 15 and how I love it. After all these chapters, how quickly it's put in the word of God, so the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. Nehemiah, you think about this man. Do do you know, he probably really did feel some fear throughout this building project here. Throughout this entire time, this man has been threatened. He's been intimidated. Uh, His insults have been thrown at him. He's got this treachery here. He's wading through all this junk. And you read through that and tell me he was never afraid? That's a bunch of junk. I guarantee Nehemiah felt the fear in his heart at times. I think that's one of the reasons he's praying. He's offering it up to God. But you know what he did? He persevered in spite of his fear. And you know what that's called? That's called courage. Lieutenant John Putnam Jr., he says, he says this, if you throw that up. Lieutenant John Putnam Jr. says this, Courage is not the lack of fear, but the ability to face your fear. Or, as John Wayne put it, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. (laughs) So choose whichever one of those you like and and take that definition. True courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward in spite of your fear. Sharing your fears with God, sharing your fears with other people, asking for help with your fear, and moving forward in faith by the grace of God. Nehemiah had courage, and he finished the wall. Loads of opposition, obstacles, a a seemingly impossible 
task to, to build this one to two mile long city, 20, uh, this one to two mile wa- long wall, 20 foot high around this city. Uh, he, but he did it in a miraculous 52 days. 52 days. He started in August. He finished in October. What are you going to do between August and October this coming year? He built a wall, a huge wall around the city. Don't you know God loves to do things in ways where only he can get the credit? And everybody knows here that this was a miracle. It was ultimately from God. Even the enemies, they know it was ultimately God who did it. Look at verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They saw these walls go up in the face of all this opposition, and they said, God did that. That had to be a work of the one true God. And did you catch what their response was right there? Really kind of humorous when you think about it. Verse 16, all the nations around us were afraid, Nehemiah says, and fell greatly in their own eyes. (laughs) These guys, these enemies, they've tried for 52 days straight to spark fear in Nehemiah's heart to get him to quit. He perseveres by the grace of God, and the result is the only people who are now fear, now in, and now afraid, are the enemies, the God of reversals, the God of reversals. And the wall is now finished. Unfortunately, the opposition in this book is not, if you look at verse 17, moreover, in those days with the finished walls, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to Tobiah, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah's wife. Also they spoke of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to Tobiah. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This guy, Tobiah, who's been harassing Nehemiah for 52 days, well, apparently he's got a bunch of connections in Jerusalem. You know why? Well, Tobiah was probably a Jew. Connected by blood to many in Jerusalem, and many more there in Jerusalem were bound to him by oath. Many nobles in Jerusalem, Nehemiah, says they were committed to Tobiah, they were committed against Nehemiah. They're communicating with Tobiah, he's communicating with them, and Tobiah, Nehemiah says, is writing letters to him, even after the wall's finished, to surprise, surprise, make Nehemiah afraid. But the wall is done. Opposition continues, the wall is done. Treachery and termination. You know, just kind of stepping back for a second from that passage. As we've seen throughout this entire book so far, (laughs) Nehemiah in that passage right there, he's a great picture of Christ. Jesus Christ, 
He would not be born for another 400 years after this passage here. And yet God orchestrated the events in Nehemiah's life in such a way that they foreshadowed or they prefigured the events in the life of Christ. Nehemiah in this book, in this building project, he's a small picture of Christ, a small foreshadowing of the Messiah who would come after him. Just think of the similarities between their lives. Nehemiah, well, he came to build something. He came to build this wall. And Jesus, when he came to this earth, he also came to build something. He came to build his church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Jesus, he came to save sinners like you and me, bring us into God's family and build us into God's glorious church body. Jesus came to build his church. And when Nehemiah, he came to build this wall, well, Nehemiah faced tons of opposition, didn't he? insults and threats and intimidation throughout this project. And Jesus, when he came to build his church, he also faced opposition, insults, threats, intimidation. And Nehemiah then, right here, right at the end of his task, when his God-given mission was just about finished, the building of these walls, he faced one of his most difficult and painful challenges. Yet, this act of treachery, this betrayal from an insider, a fellow companion hired by others to trap him for a pocket full of cash. But Nehemiah saw the trap coming. He avoided the trap and he finished his God-given task. He finished this wall. And that right there was a foreshadowing of, of the much better builder to come. Because Jesus also, right at the end of his task, right at the end of his God-given mission on this earth, when it was just about finished, he also experienced an act of treachery betrayal from an insider named Judas. One of his 12 original disciples, his closest friends, hired by another to trap him for a pocket full of cash. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss right after Jesus had bowed down and washed his feet. Jesus, like Nehemiah, Jesus, he also saw this trap coming. But Jesus, unlike Nehemiah, he didn't avoid the trap. He walked right into the trap. And why? That was the only way Jesus could build his church. Not by avoiding treachery, but by embracing the treachery. On the cross, Jesus took the sin of sinners upon himself died and rose again to pay the penalty for that sin. And every sinner who now truly clings to Christ and follows Christ in, in faith, you're forgiven. Jesus brings you into his spiritual family. Jesus builds you as a living stone into his glorious church body. And you realize that during Christ's life on this earth, Satan tried to spark fear in his heart a million different times. Trying to keep him from the cross. 
Your enemies are coming to kill you, Jesus. They're coming to kill you tonight. Run away and hide. Save yourself, Jesus. Drop your tools and walk away. But Jesus, like Nehemiah, looked to the Father in prayer and he persevered with courage and Jesus finished his God-given mission, crying out with his last breath, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Nehemiah finished the building of this wall right there. And Jesus on the cross finished the most important aspect of the building of his church. And Jesus is still building his church today. Jesus has now entrusted the building of his church to his followers. Jesus is now working in and through his people to make more disciples. To make more Jesus followers in all nations. That's our commission as a local church. To make disciples of Jesus. And listen, the opposition that Jesus faced here in this book. We can expect the same. Jesus said, every disciple is like his teacher. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. When we actively rise and seek to make disciples and build the church of Jesus, we will face insults at times, threats, intimidation, maybe treachery. An insider who turns on you, a loved one, a friend, a family member, Turning against you may be one of the most painful things to have a loved one betray you. And Jesus understands. And Jesus will strengthen you to get through it. Satan will do everything he can to spark fear in our hearts, to get us to stop. We must not stop. Because Jesus has promised in Matthew 28, when we go to make disciples and build his church, he says, I will be with you. And the one who finished his work on the cross, he will be faithful to finish his work through us and build his church. Lord, we are so grateful for Christ, the crucified man. Thankful for Lord Jesus. For your life, your death, your resurrection. Thankful that you endured treachery on the cross. You endured it. You endured it, went through it for sinners like me. Sinners like me. Thank you, Jesus, that you went all the way. Persevering in courage, you finished the work on the cross. We thank you, Jesus. You've ascended to the right hand of the Father. And as you now energize and motivate your people to continue building your church, you are working with us to finish that which you started. Philippians 1.6, the one who began the good work in and through us will be faithful to complete it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, our crucified man, for what you have done, for what you are still doing to build your church. And we are thankful that someday it will be finally fully built and we will see you face to face again. In your name we pray, amen.